Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Hello, friends of The Vine. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We had a little audio problem at the very beginning of our sermon last Sunday. And so I'm going to kick us off by reading the scripture and jumping into the sermon, and then we'll, we'll kick back to the actual recording from Sunday. For our scripture reading today, it's Joshua 4, 1 through 9. And this is the word of the Lord. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe. And tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the, pe- the priests were standing, and carry them over to- with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan according to the number of tribes of the Israelites as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over to the, to, uh, with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. There they are to this day. This is the word of the Lord. The Irish writer Frank O'Connor first told a story from an account of his own life, his own childhood. He and his friends, when they would go out and explore, sometimes they would come to a wall that would block off their path, their exploration. And he remembers one time in particular, he came to this orchard wall that seemed too high to climb. Instead of turning around to go back home, uh, they would toss their hats over the wall as a declaration, a commitment, that they had to find a way over. In this way, they had no choice but to follow. In many ways, this is a threshold moment. A threshold moment is a time of choosing where Either you can return back to what's been normative in the past, or you forge into the brave, unknown world. Oftentimes, stories have something called a threshold moment in its plot line. Stories usually begin with some sort of status quo or normalcy, but then a conflict arises and incites an incident where a character has to move forward and begin a journey. And as they walk into this journey, it's often into uncharted places with uncertainty. And so this journey happens with highs and lows, but then they come to a certain point, a place, a precipice, or a threshold where a choice has to be made. Either they can return to normalcy, the status quo from the beginning, or they have to step forward into a brave new world. And there's no going back. So let's go back to this recording on Sunday. And what we find in stories are the reason why we love stories that have these moments are because we see these in our life. Our life has moments of threshold type precipice moments where we come up to the very edge of something and we wonder if we can push our way through. A very easy example is in the movie The Matrix. Uh, The character Neo, he goes through after a while and he's given a choice. Either you could choose the red pill or the blue pill. If you take the blue pill... And you, you will wake up tomorrow in your bed, and all this will be a dream. 
But if you take the other pill, then you won't be able to go back. You will see life differently. And of course, he chooses that pill. We even experience these threshold moments in our own life. When someone gets married, what do they carry their wife over? A threshold. Like there's, all right, new chapter, no going back. Maybe back pains, but there's no going back. Uh, we find these threshold moments uh, elsewhere in our life. We it, here, I love this story. John F. Kennedy in San Antonio, this was the day before his death. He told the world that there would be a man on the moon in 10 years. Declared this publicly to the whole world. We're going to have a man on the moon in 10 years. What's amazing about it is that no one was working on this plan. He didn't have any data. He didn't have any research that's saying, all right, it's an easy thing. 10 years, we'll be there. All he had was his hat, and he threw it over the wall. We're going to do this. In 10 years, we'll have a man on the moon. And of course, we did. He actually said this. He said, this nation has tossed its cap over the wall of space, and we have no choice but to follow it. Don't you love that? The scripture reading we heard earlier today is a story about a threshold moment. The people, the nation of Israel, they have come to this threshold before. Uh, what we know of the story, the, the nation of Israel, they were, they were in captivity in Egypt. They were delivered. But the problem was between the deliverance and the promised land, there was something called a desert. And deserts are places where God has to teach us this very difficult lesson, a lesson of scarcity and trust. And scarcity brings about a dependence on God, and that's a challenging thing. Like, I don't know of anyone who's, who's said the prayer without being afraid, God, teach me more dependence on you. Be careful of saying that prayer, right? But the reality is for God is there's no sweeter place to be in life than in whole dependence upon God. And so God used this desert standing between the Egypt and the promised land to, 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 to do something, to do something within this community, to forge trust, uh, and to forge also the reality that God was trustworthy. And so uh, they got to the edge of this promised land where we found this scripture reading today, but it was a generation before. They got to the edge of this promised land. They felt this threshold. And so they sent in 12 spies to go into the promised land to see if God actually was trustworthy, if this promised land was truly a place flowing with milk and honey. And so the spies went in there, and they came back with a report, and they actually brought back grapes. I love that in the story. They love grapes, I guess. So they brought back grapes. I guess after being in the desert for a long time, grapes are going to sound incredible. And so they, they came back, and they said, the land is exactly like God had said. It's flowing with milk and honey. But there are giants there. Why can't it just be milk and honey and grapes without giants? Why is it that God allows there to be giants on these promised lands? In reality, they weren't giants, but the, the spies were so afraid that that's how, that's how their fear saw them. And so within the community, they said, there's no way we can take this land. But there were two spies who said, God is with us, and that's enough. And the community heard the, the voice of faith and the voice of fear. And look, listen to what they said in Numbers 14, 1 through 3. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against God, against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us 
fall by the sword, our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? It is a weird thing in the human condition when we get on the threshold of a new chapter where we're really going to have to depend and trust and fight with God. It's a weird thing how all of a sudden we look back in the rearview mirror in the comforts of slavery. They were looking at, oh, we're going to have to fight for this promised land. Wouldn't it? Just remember Egypt, how comfortable that was. Isn't that a weird thing in our life? I'm sure for you, you've probably been at the edge of a huge decision, and you've worked really hard to get there. And right at the edge of that, right at, at the edge of that big move, that big decision, you go, you remember how easy it was when we could just play it safe, when we could play it small? The reason why is because when you start walking in freedom, it takes something called vulnerability. And vulnerability is the ability to be wounded. It is the ability to be rejected. And no one takes on vulnerability easily. It's something we have to learn to do. It's exposure. The wounds of vulnerability is different than the wounds from being a slave. The wounds of vulnerability is is a, a lover rejecting you after you have declared your love and have shown yourself to them. It's, it's also the, it's the wound of a child who reaches out to their parents only to be ne- neglected and forgotten about. It's also the wound of the nation of Israel if they were to go in the promised land trusting God and God never showed up and they fell to the sword. They were exposed and vulnerable and so they longed to go back to Egypt. What, with God though, the call for people is to learn to walk in vulnerable, raw trust of God. Even Jesus displayed this. In John 5, 19, Jesus gave him this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. If Jesus being God, could do anything he wanted to. He chose dependence upon his Father. He said, this is the way to abundant life. This is the way of faithfulness, is whatever I see the Father doing, whatever he's calling me to do, that is my choice. That is what I'm held to, dependence upon the Father. And it should be the same for us. So this nation of Israel, they rebel against God, and because of that, everyone in that day, with those 12 spies, when they came back, everyone that rebelled against the word of God, saying that he would be with them, uh, and they they longed to go back to Egypt, all of them would die in the desert, other than the two spies. And so what happened is they would spend the next 40 years wandering in the desert, the place where you learn to trust God. Uh, They spent 40 years wandering in the desert, with a new gener- gen- where a new generation was born. And they spent their entire life learning to trust God. They ate whatever God provided. They drank whatever water God provided. And God showed that he was trustworthy. And after 40 years later, they get back to the edge of the promised land. And here they are at this critical moment, this threshold. And there's a couple important things that happen. First, it's time for Moses to step down. And this would have been hard because their whole life for 40 years... They had followed Moses. Moses was the the person who spoke for God. And listen to this in Deuteronomy 34, 1 and 4. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo 
There the Lord showed him the whole land. This is like this beautiful mountain where you can actually look into the promised land. And there's some people in this community that I've talked to this week, they, they've actually been there. They've climbed this mountain, and you can actually look down into the valley of Jericho and see that life burst forth. And so Moses got up there at the top of this mountain. And then verse 4. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give you... Give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you will not cross over to it. And there, Moses died. But before this, Moses blessed a new leader, a man named Joshua. And something beautiful is that Joshua was one of those two spies. One of those two spies that trusted God. And Moses blesses Joshua and said, you're now the leader. And the book of Joshua begins at this threshold. And there are a couple huge questions that these people were wrestling with. Like right now, I'm sure many of us are wrestling with some big questions. These three questions were their big questions. Number one, would God be with them outside the desert? It sounds silly to us, but they spent their whole life in the desert where God was there leading them. And they had to wonder if God would be restricted, if God is the God of the desert, or if God is the God of, uh, of other places, of other nations, of other people. The second question, would God really give the Israelites the promised land? They had heard of the giants from the generation before. They heard that the land actually swallows people. But they also heard that God is mighty to save. So would God be with us people? And would God give us the promised land like he's done in the past? And third question is, would God be with Joshua like God was with Moses? They depended on Moses for everything. And would God be with Joshua like he was with Moses? And so on this day, God comes to Joshua, Joshua 1, 5, and 6, and says this. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. I love that commandment. Be strong and courageous. For Joshua, that's what he needed on this day, strength and courage. Because when we get to threshold moments in our life, it demands courage. And we actually find this commandment three different times in this chapter, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. It's just reminding this is the way through here, strength and courage. You have to have that. And God loves these threshold moments because he gets to see them as a crucible when all of a sudden, they see what's required in this. It comes out. Strength and courage. And courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing the right thing in the presence of fear. And Joshua had to do this. So Joshua led these people to the promised land. Uh, and just like we said earlier, between the desert and the promised land, uh, there is, uh, between Egypt and the promised land, there was a desert. But even here in Joshua's life, between him getting the promised land, there was this barrier, the Jordan River. In the Bible, water oftentimes is a symbol of chaos and conflict. And here, before they're entering into this promised land, there is this barrier between uh, where they are and the promised land. And it's at the edge of this, this place when our life butts up against the unknown, we start longing for stability and comforts again. But they would have to depend on God. So on the edge of this river, God gives Joshua the commandment in Joshua 3.5. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. This word consecration is, is actually the word kadesh, which means to, to be separate, means to set yourself apart. What God is saying to Joshua is like, tell the people 
that tomorrow I'm going to do something amazing. So tonight, prepare yourself. Get ready. Expect something to happen tomorrow. And get your mind, your heart, your soul ready to experience it. I love to imagine that night after four years sleeping in tents. Here they are on the edge of this river. Even the sound of the river in the background. In this community, laying in their tents that night, they can't sleep. They're filled with anticipation and wonder. They're on the edge of this promised land. They grew up hearing stories from their parents and their grandparents' generation about how God was mighty, how when they were slaves, they walked up to the edge of the Red Sea and the chariots of the Pharaoh, was, they're coming down upon them. But all of a sudden, Moses lifted his staff and the waters parted and they walked through the waters. They grew up hearing that story, I imagine, again and again and again around campfires, around meals. This is what God did for us in our generation. And here on this night, as they're laying in their tents, they're wondering, what will God do with us? What will God do in this place? So morning comes, the community wakes up, they go to the Jordan River, they they face this threshold uh, head on, And there in Joshua 3, 6, it says this, Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and they went ahead of them. Uh, To understand the beauty of this story, you have to know what the ark resembles. It's a sacred reminder of God's presence. It's a monument of its own. So in the story, you have to see where the ark is going to see the real beauty of it. Pay attention to that. In, In Joshua 3, 8, Joshua says, tell the pre- or God says to Joshua, tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's water, go and stand in the river. In verse 15, now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. This right here is just a great reminder that oftentimes God has some awful timing, right? Like, couldn't we pass the Jordan when there's a drought? You know, couldn't we do this some other time? But here during the flood stage, when it seems to be even more difficult than usual, God tells Joshua, it's time for the ark to go into the river. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 15, yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan, and listen to this, and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing and it piled up in a heap in a great distance away. Notice it wasn't when they walked to the edge of the water and they waited for God to part the water. It was actually, they had, a, they had got there, and I imagine the people carrying the ark got there and like, well, what do we do now? And then one of them started pushing forward. And it wasn't until their feet got wet that the river started to part. I think there's something about that for us. It's the faith of stepping into the unknown, where God sees it, God is waiting and watching, will we be people of courage? And as we step into it, then God moved. Their feet had to get wet to see the power of God. And I think that perhaps some of you might be on the threshold moment of your life. You might be on the standing on the edge of something great, a new chapter. You might be on the edge of the river waiting for the waters to part before you step in. But perhaps... God's saying to follow me, be strong and courageous and get in there. And as soon as they do that, it reminds me of a child frozen on the top of a high dive. That was never me. 
uh, the child frozen at the high dive, it was me all the time. And uh, just looking over the edge and seeing, seeing it going, I don't remember it being this tall when I was down there and being struck by fear and being stuck. There's some of us who are stuck at spiritual thresholds and we're afraid to cross over into deeper dependence uh, on God. Perhaps it's standing on the edge of a job change. Perhaps it's standing on the edge of choosing to foster or to adopt a child. Perhaps you're standing on the edge of a commitment to praying for and with your friend or your spouse. Or perhaps you're on the edge of having a hard conversation and you're struck with fear. And perhaps what God might say to you right now is be strong, be courageous. It's only as they did that, it's only as they stepped into the water that they saw the fuller picture of God. And because of that, in verse 4, so Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. So the waters have been parted, the ark is in the middle, and so Joshua says, 12 people, one per each tribe, go in the middle of the Jordan, and each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites. Verse 6. So, uh, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial or a monument to the people of Israel forever. That day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they stood in awe of Moses. These 12 stones became a monument, one per tribe, almost to say that every person in that community, they were tied to it, even my own family, even my own clan. That was our stone. My people were there. This monument was the answer to all their questions. Is God with Joshua like he was with Moses? Can God still deliver? This monument declares that God is not limited by geography, time, or personality. God is not limited to geography, time, or personality. God is faithful because God is faithful. And if you want to see God move in your life, could it be that he's calling you to step into the water as you see God leading you like the ark going into difficult places that you could be stepping into those places? In verse 17, the nation of Israel had crossed over the river, and this is when the ark just gets even more beautiful. In verse 17, so Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. In verse 18, and the priests came out, out of the river, carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. Notice in the story, where was the ark? Where was the placement of the ark with the community? It's a reminder of God's presence, remember? So where is the ark? They carried the ark into the water before anyone else. The ark stood in the middle of the river while everyone passed through, and the ark was waiting until everyone had crossed, and then it followed them behind. Might this be telling us something about God's presence, that God goes before us? There's no place that God is calling us to go where he is not already there. This also is a, is a promise that God is with us. There's nowhere in this life where I'm going to be alone or isolated that God is with me and God is with you. And it might also mean for us 
that God will see us through, that God will follow us, God will hem us behind, protect us, care for us, that God doesn't disappear when things get difficult and hard, but God will see it to completion. This is a monument of God's enduring faithfulness. And if you agreed, agreed in this story that God's not, based, uh, not limited based on geography, time, or personality, the reality is that God is writing this story in your life. This is your story. This is still the case with us. And the big question for us is, are we willing to trust God? Are we willing to be in desperate reliance on who God is in our life? Will we have courage and trust? God has given us every single reason to trust him. Many years later, Jesus would step into the same water. He would step into literally the same river. He would go into the Jordan to be baptized, and there was no reason for him to be baptized. He did not sin. He had no regrets. Why did Jesus be baptized? I think he did it because he wanted to show that he is with us, like the ark in the middle of the river, that God is with us, that Jesus identified with being human so that we would know that we are never going to be alone. So when God asks us to step into places of courage and strength, that we might know that Jesus has already been there. And for us, we were reminded of this, that that was the first thing that Jesus did when he stepped into ministry. Notice the last thing he said before he left this world. In Matthew 28, 20, the very end of the Great Commission, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm with you always. There's nowhere in your life that you're going to be where I'm not going to be with you. Jesus came, he lived, and he died so that you might have a companion for all of life. And he will see you through. He'll see you through the failures, see you through the regrets, the fumbles that you'll make. He's not going to leave you. So now is our time. Now is our time to trust in God. Now is our time to walk through the thresholds with courage, facing the fear. And in doing so, we'll see that God's faithful. So friends, step into the water and just see what God might do.